This is Chapter Thirteen of A Tramp Abroad. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Tramp Abroad by Mark Twain. Chapter Thirteen. My Long Crawl in the Dark. When we got back to the hotel, I wound and set the pedometer and put it in my pocket, for I was to carry it next day and keep record of the miles we made. The work which we had given the instrument to do during the day, which had just closed, had not fatigued it perceptibly. We were in bed by ten, for we wanted to be up and away on our tramp homeward with the dawn. I hung fire, but Harris went to sleep at once. I hate a man who goes to sleep at once. There is a sort of an indefinable something about it, which is not exactly an insult, and yet it is an insolence, and one which is hard to bear, too. I lay there fretting over this injury and trying to go to sleep, but the harder I tried, the wider awake I grew. I got to feeling very lonely in the dark, with no company but an undigested dinner. My mind got a start by and by, and began to consider the beginning of every subject which has ever been thought of, but it never went further than the beginning. It was touch and go. It fled from topic to topic with a frantic speed. At the end of an hour my head was in a perfect whirl, and I was dead tired, fagged out. The fatigue was so great that it presently began to make some head against the nervous excitement. While imagining myself wide awake, I would really doze into momentary unconsciousness, and come suddenly out of it with a physical jerk which nearly wrenched my joints apart, the delusion of the instant being that I was tumbling backward over a precipice. After I had fallen over eight or nine precipices, and thus found out that one-half of my brain had been asleep eight or nine times without the wide-awake, hard-working, other half suspecting it, the periodical unconsciousnesses began to extend their spell gradually over more of my brain territory, and at last I sank into a drowse which grew deeper and deeper, and was doubtless just on the very point of being a solid, blessed, dreamless stupor, when—what was that? My dulled faculties dragged themselves partly back to life and took a receptive attitude. Now, out of an immense, a limitless distance, came a something which grew and grew and approached and presently was recognizable as a sound. It had rather seemed to be a feeling before. This sound was a mile away now. Perhaps it was the murmur of a storm, and now it was nearer, not a quarter of a mile away. Was it the muffled rasping and grinding of distant machinery? No, it came still nearer. Was it the measured tramp of a marching troop? But it came nearer still, and still nearer, and at last it was right in the room. It was merely a mouse gnawing the woodwork. So I had held my breath all that time for such a trifle. Well, what was done could not be helped. I would go to sleep at once and make up the lost time. That was a thoughtless thought. Without intending it, hardly knowing it, I fell to listening intently to that sound, and even unconsciously counting the strokes of the mouse's nutmeg greater. Presently I was deriving exquisite suffering from this employment. Yet maybe I could have endured it if the mouse had attended steadily to his work, but he did not do that. He stopped every now and then, and I suffered more while waiting and listening for him to begin again than I did while he was gnawing. Along at first I was mentally offering a reward of five, six, seven, or ten dollars for that mouse, but toward the last I was offering rewards which were entirely beyond my means. 
I closed-reefed my ears, that is to say, I bent the flaps of them down and furled them into five or six folds, and pressed them against the hearing orifice, but it did no good. The faculty was so sharpened by nervous excitement that it was become a microphone and could hear through the overlays without trouble. My anger grew to a frenzy. I finally did what all persons before me have done, clear back to Adam, resolved to throw something. I reached down and got my walking shoes, then sat up in bed and listened, in order to exactly locate the noise. But I couldn't do it. It was as unlocatable as a cricket's noise, and where one thinks that that is, is always the very place where it isn't. So I presently hurled a shoe at random, and with a vicious vigor. It struck the wall over Harris's head and fell down on him. I had not imagined I could throw so far. It woke Harris, and I was glad of it until I found he was not angry. Then I was sorry. He soon went to sleep again, which pleased me. But straightway the mouse began again, which roused my temper once more. I did not want to wake Harris a second time, but the gnawing continued until I was compelled to throw the other shoe. This time I broke a mirror. There were two in the room. I got the largest one, of course. Harris woke again, but did not complain, and I was sorrier than ever. I resolved that I would suffer all possible torture before I would disturb him a third time. The mouse eventually retired, and by and by I was sinking to sleep, when a clock began to strike. I counted till it was done, and was about to drowse again, when another clock began. I counted. Then the two great Rathaus clock angels began to send forth soft, rich, melodious blasts from their long trumpets. I had never heard anything that was so lovely, or weird, or mysterious. But when they got to blowing the quarter hours, they seemed to me to be overdoing the thing. Every time I dropped off for the moment, a new noise woke me. Each time I woke I missed my coverlet, and had to reach down to the floor and get it again. At last all sleepiness forsook me. I recognized the fact that I was hopelessly and permanently wide awake. Wide awake, and feverish, and thirsty. When I had lain tossing there as long as I could endure it, it occurred to me that it would be a good idea to dress and go out in the great square and take a refreshing wash in the fountain, and smoke and reflect there until the remnant of the night was gone. I believed I could dress in the dark without waking Harris. I banished my shoes after the mouse, but my slippers would do for a summer night, so I rose softly and gradually got on everything down to one sock. I couldn't seem to get on the track of that sock any way I could fix it, but I had to have it, so I went down on my hands and knees with one slipper on and the other in my hand, and began to paw gently around and rake the floor, but with no success. I enlarged my circle and went on pawing and raking. With every pressure of my knee, how the floor creaked, and every time I chanced to rake against any article, it seemed to give out thirty-five or thirty-six times more noise than it would have done in the daytime. In those cases I always stopped and held my breath till I was sure Harris had not awakened. Then I crept along again. I moved on and on, but I could not find the sock. I could not seem to find anything but furniture. I could not remember that there was much furniture in the room when I went to bed, but the place was alive with it now, especially chairs, chairs everywhere. Had a couple of families moved in in the meantime, and I never could seem to glance on one of those chairs, but always struck it full and square with my head. 
my temper rose by steady and sure degrees and as i pawed on and on i fell to making vicious comments under my breath finally with a venomous access of irritation i said i would leave without the sock so i rose up and made straight for the door as i supposed and suddenly confronted my dim spectral image in the unbroken mirror it startled the breath out of me for an instant it also showed me that i was lost and had no sort of idea where i was when i realized this i was so angry that i had to sit down on the floor and take hold of something to keep from lifting the roof off with an explosion of opinion if there had been only one mirror it might possibly have helped to locate me but there were two and two were as bad as a thousand besides these were on opposite sides of the room i could see the dim blur of the windows but in my turned-around condition they were exactly where they ought not to be and so they only confused me instead of helping me i started to get up and knock down an umbrella it made a noise like a pistol-shot when it struck that hard slick carpetless floor i grated my teeth and held my breath harris did not stir i set the umbrella slowly and carefully on end against the wall but as soon as i took my hand away its heel slipped from under it and down it came again with another bang i shrunk together and listened a moment in silent fury no harm done everything quiet with the most painstaking care and nicety i stood the umbrella up once more took my hand away and down it came again i have been strictly reared but if it had not been so dark and solemn and awful there in that lonely vast room i do believe i should have said something then which could not be put into a sunday-school book without injuring the sale of it if my reasoning powers had not been already sapped dry by my harassments i would have known better than to try to set an umbrella on end on one of those glassy german floors in the dark it can't be done in the daytime without four failures to one success i had one comfort though harris was yet still and silent he had not stirred the umbrella could not locate me there were four standing around the room and all alike i thought i would feel along the wall and find the door in that way i rose up and began this operation but raked down a picture it was not a large one but it made noise enough for a panorama harris gave out no sound but i felt that if i experimented any further with the pictures i should be sure to wake him better give up trying to get out yes i would find king arthur's round table once more i had already found it several times and use it for a base of departure on an exploring tour for my bed if i could find my bed i could then find my water pitcher i would quench my raging thirst and turn in so i started on my hands and knees because i could go faster that way and with more confidence too and not knock down things by and by i found the table with my head rubbed the bruise a little then rose up and started with my hands abroad and fingers spread to balance myself i found a chair then a wall then another chair then a sofa then an alpenstock then another sofa this confounded me for i had thought there was only one sofa i hunted up the table again and took a fresh start found some more chairs it occurred to me now as it ought to have done before that as the table was round it was therefore of no value as a base to aim from so i moved off once more and at random among the wilderness of chairs and sofas wandering off into unfamiliar regions and presently knocked a candlestick and knocked off a lamp 
grabbed at the lamp and knocked off a water-pitcher with a startling crash and thought to myself i found you at last i judged i was close upon you harris shouted murder and thieves and finished with i am absolutely drowned the crash had roused the house mr x pranced in in his long night-garment with a candle young z after him with another candle a procession swept in at another door with candles and lanterns landlord and two german guests in their nightgowns and a chambermaid in hers i looked around i was at harris's bed a sabbath day's journey from my own there was only one sofa it was against the wall there was only one chair where a body could get at it i had been revolving around it like a planet and colliding with it like a comet half the night i explained how i had been employing myself and why then the landlord's party left and the rest of us set about our preparations for breakfast for the dawn was ready to break i glanced furtively at my pedometer and found i had made forty-seven miles but i did not care for i had come out for a pedestrian tour anyway End of chapter 13